Hello there, how are we doing? Nice to have you with us. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, the last one of the season. Sponsored by Betfair, myself Ali Maxwell and himself, George Ellick, are back from Wembley. We spent the weekend watching the League 2 playoff final, the Championship playoff final, and that's what we'd like to speak to you about. This is the last part of the season, the last for a number of weeks, and it's going to be an interesting one, George, because we've had, well, the pinnacle of the EFL season, the playoff finals, and we were very, very lucky to be there at Wembley this weekend. Incredible weekend. I do, I mean, I, I kind of tweeted it yesterday, I do think, and it was the same when we were very lucky uh, enough back in 2019 to go to all three finals being able to go to these games not strictly working beyond uh, researching for this podcast and being able to go and enjoy them as neutrals so none of the nerve shredding hours pre-kickoff none of the horrible anxiety during the game if you're leading or, or you're behind and then soaking in the incredible atmosphere that is 20, 30, 40,000, depending on, on which team you support, um, celebrating at the final whistle uh, what is a, a a transformative day in their life supporting that club. Um, absolutely incredible. Loved it. Sad I wasn't there last weekend for the, for the Sunderland promotion, but I thought both, well, I think all four sets of fans um, came out with massive credit. I thought both Mansfield and Port Vale were incredible Mansfield fans getting behind their team, even when uh, it, was, it was pretty obvious that they weren't going to be going up that day. Uh, and then Port Vale and and and, and uh, Forest fans today were absolutely buoyant, made an unbelievable noise, uh, final whistle, and then in the in the minutes uh, afterwards as well. And uh, and that is what it's all about, to be honest. Being a football fan is days like today. Could not agree more. This is a review podcast of the two playoff finals. One of them finished. Spoiler alert: Nottingham Forest won Huddersfield nil. Nottingham Forest promoted to the Premier League from the Championship. And on Saturday, Port Vale beat Mansfield 3-0, an unusually comfortable playoff final win at Wembley for Vale, who will be in League One next year. So we'll start with the Championship playoff final. That was today, uh, this afternoon. Congratulations to Nottingham Forest, first and foremost. Uh, You are Premier League. You will not be listening to the pod next season. Of that, I've no doubt. Some of you might say, actually, I've really enjoyed this. I'd like to keep up with the league because it's a good league. We've heard it all before and we know you (laughs) won't. So just don't bother. Don't promise. George, we're going to try and cover this this game and both teams and what it means for them both and what happened this afternoon in as broad a way as we can. But we have to start somewhere. And while on a normal Monday pod, when we have 36 games to break down, as I make very clear every week, I don't think referee decisions chat on a podcast is particularly interesting because, frankly, sometimes I think people listening might not have even seen the instance we're talking about. So just quite a boring listen. But on a pod dedicated to two single matches and games that I expect everyone listening will have seen, particularly the Championship Playoff Vinyl, I think it's acceptable and, frankly, in this case, unavoidable because it was a game where not that much happened in general. And the key aspects of it is what happened in the second half. Two penalty incidents Huddersfield wanted a penalty. The penalty was not given to them. George, it was reported that there was going to be VAR in these playoffs, but I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, well, as you say, I think we could probably split this podcast into two sections, one being Refgate and the rest of it being talking about Forest promotion. It's a massive shame. And, and I think, you know, before talking about it, because there will be Forest fans tuning in who will throw their arms up in protest at us talking about this, but we have to because um, not taking anything away from the achievement of Steve Cooper and the players, uh, not taking anything away from the achievement today in winning the game, 
uh, at all and we will give you your due credit in a second but purely in terms of, of reviewing the game that unfolded in front of us I think the discourse just has to be dominated by um, by, by what happened uh, or what didn't happen at Stockley Park uh, with VAR because in fairness to, to John Moss who I know isn't anyone's favourite referee anyway even before today's last ever game um, both you and I had pretty good views I would say albeit on the sideline of both incidents and I was pretty convinced, as were you, that neither were penalties in, in real time. Um, it looked to me like Toffolo dived. It looked to me like Lowe had got the ball in the second incident. However, on replay, it's blatantly obvious that my eyes deceived me, your eyes deceived you, and John Moss's eyes deceived him as well. Because um, Toffolo is clearly, his foot is kicked into his other leg, which causes him to go over. I've seen some Forest fans say that he was already diving, he was already going down. I'm afraid to say that is totally and utterly irrelevant. Um, it has absolutely no bearing on whether or not, even if he was in the midst of diving at the time he was kicked, it is totally irrelevant because he was kicked and that caused him to lose balance. There was an attempt to play the ball and it was uh, and it failed uh, and that is a foul. Similarly, with the second incident, I've seen some Forest fans say that Rhodes puts his leg out in front into Lowe's path. Again, totally relevant. Rhodes in control of the ball. He is ahead of Lowe. Lowe makes attempts to play the ball. I think it was O'Brien. It was O'Brien. You're right. Um, everything I said is 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 completely right except for the player I was talking about, um, O'Brien's leg, and um, and it's a foul. Both of them are fouls. And you know, you and I were both pretty annoyed when we saw or when we heard that VAR was going to be introduced into the EFL playoffs. Um, you know, as we've said before as well, that there is little to no uh, risk here of suddenly this being adopted throughout the EFL, given the manpower needed to do that. But for us to have a playoff final, a championship playoff final, where there are two decisions made at 1-0, which uh, when the stakes are so high that go upstairs and don't get overturned, and John Moss doesn't even go and have a look at them on the monitor, it is absolutely ridiculous. And if you're a Huddersfield Town fan this evening, and what is at stake, and everyone involved in that club, and all the hard work that's gone into it, and Carl Corbin, I thought, was incredibly measured in his response, where he, you know, he, he similar to what I'm saying here, he said, referees have a hard job, but how it's not turned over um, when it's looked at again, he can't really work out. And that's fair. And, you know, there's, there's nothing worse in football than in sport than blatant injustice. And... You know, Forrest may still have got promoted. You know, Huddersfield may have missed the penalty or both penalties or whatever could have happened or it could have gone to extra time and it wouldn't have changed. But you can't help leaving the stadium today or anyone watching it at home feeling like one team uh, didn't get a fair crack at, uh, at their opportunity in the game. And that and that's a huge shame. It is a shame. It, and I don't think I speak only for myself as a neutral here where I say, as you've suggested, that it does somewhat impact how you feel about this. In the immediate aftermath, we have literally travelled home, had some food and clicked record. It might be that if we'd recorded this uh, tomorrow afternoon, maybe we would be feeling slightly less, I don't know if emotional is the right word, again, purely neutral here, but it just feels like a shame. Maybe it's the finality of it, maybe it's the fact that this is the end of the season and it feels like it's so final and it feels like we didn't necessarily uh, see what we perceive and from what I can tell looking at messages on the NTT20 squad and tweets on our timeline from people we respect um, was at least one if not two incidents where Huddersfield could should have been awarded a penalty and that would have clearly made a big difference now Jason Bourne is someone we've worked with uh, back in the day he's a football editor at Talk Sport I noticed a few tweets because he's a he's a 
proper journo and, and he wanted to work out and find out why, get some ideas why these weren't given. He tweeted that the first penalty incident, the tackle from Colback on Toffolo, wasn't deemed to have had sufficient evidence of contact to overturn the referee's on-field decision. Uh, and for the second penalty shout, he said he was told it wasn't given because the attacking player, Lewis O'Brien, was not in full control of the ball when the, the contact was made. He tweeted later more detail on the two penalty incidents. I'm told neither of them met the bar for the VAR to overturn the on-field decision with the tolerance level having been raised at the start of the season. All clubs in the EFL playoffs were spoken to regarding VAR pre-match. So I, I suppose that's... What's the bar? That is at least worth raising for whatever it's worth and and clearly our opinion is there should have been one if not two penalties but i always but think it's at, it's, at on, the, on... It's, it's at the very least worth me reading this out mate it's worth saying they have said <laughs> the tolerance level's been raised at the start of the season the suggestion there is incidents which are which are not like someone's literally stabbed someone in the face tolerance level's been raised whatever that means well i mean i've Firstly, talking about the bar has been raised. I mean, when, when you've got a purely hypothetical bar, it doesn't really help much, um, especially when, you know, as as Jason says there, um, the, the bar was raised, the threshold was raised at the beginning of the season. Well, 99% of people watching that game today watch quite a lot of Premier League football and have watched decisions being overturned by VAR all season for, for penalties. And if, if, if we had consistently throughout the course of the season seen those decisions not overturned then i don't think there'd be as much uproar as there is today but that factually hasn't been the case you know we we've seen penalties given and decisions overturned for far more questionable um incidents than, than what we saw today and uh yeah it, it feels to me like a bit of a scramble there uh rather i mean that there would be it would be a pr disaster for them to come out and apologize and say we got it wrong because um suddenly you'd have a huddersfield demanding for a, a re a rematch um yeah, it's nonsense. Okay, let's draw a line under that for the moment. Let's talk about the, the game. Uh, it wasn't a game with, with huge incident. Uh, the flow of the game, particularly in the first half while it was nil-nil, was, for the most part, uh, Huddersfield defending um, fairly solidly in a 5-4-1 block and Nottingham Forest, for the most part, uh, struggling somewhat to penetrate uh, and get into good areas and dangerous positions in Huddersfield's final third in their penalty box. We had a, a Ryan Yates header from a set piece after 11 minutes uh, that went just wide. He didn't get a great contact on it, but it was a good delivery from Garner from the, from the left-hand channel. More of that later. Uh, on 14 minutes, I, I made a note, George, and we both noted this. Huddersfield, it felt like they had, a, as we expected, a pretty good game plan from Corbrand, in particular to deny Forrest easy possession. Certainly Brennan Johnson and Keenan Davis uh, saw very little of the ball. The, the one thing that it felt like Huddersfield were allowing to happen, which we found surprising because Jed Spence is considered a star of the league at right wing back, is that they did seem fairly happy for Forrest to fizz balls into Spence's feet without anyone really denying that pass or closing off the part passing lanes or even particularly marking Spence tightly. There were a few moments in the first 20 minutes or so where uh, Spence had the ball easily to feet, was able to carry it a little bit. It didn't really come to anything, but we wondered whether either Toffolo or Sorba Thomas, who'd played uh, on the left side uh, of the attack, could be a little bit tighter to him. Regardless, uh, half an hour went. Uh, it, it was very, very tough for Forrest and Huddersfield. They weren't hugely ambitious in what they were trying to do, but the, the first objective was to stop Forrest playing, and, and that had been successful. Until, George, Garner 
with another delivery, this time from open play, similar position to where he'd fizzed one into to Yates' head early in the game. Uh, this time, it ended up in, in the back of the net via the youngster Levi Colwell, Huddersfield defender. Yeah, as at a time of the game where um, it felt like for all of Nottingham Forest's possession in the game in their territory, um, Carlos Corboran, um, interestingly, was actually, was actually sitting quite close in front of us, seemed to be trying to get his team to press man-to-man a bit more than they were actually doing. Um, so it kind of felt like maybe it wasn't by design that that was the case. But um, but it did feel like, despite Forest dominance, and, and that comes with air quotes, because I'm talking about dominance purely in a territorial and possession-based way, because uh, they created very, very little in the first half. It, it kind of felt like Huddersfield were doing pretty well at keeping them at bay. But Garner's moment of quality, um, you know, he was... Arguably the quality player on the pitch in, a, in an attacking sense for Forrest. Uh, Sorba Thomas, probably the one for Huddersfield, um, who you would say that with a couple of very lively moments in open play in a game that was kind of devoid of much creativity and much spark. Garner whipped in a ball and it looked you know, kind of live in, in real time to us like it was it was uh, Ryan Yates who, who with a kind of decent finish, but actually the replay showed it was Levi Colwell diverting it into his own net. Um, but certainly a goal that was created by the um, the ball from from Ghana. Um, so all credit to him for doing that. And you know when you you're playing against a side like Huddersfield, who are so risk averse, uh, who take um, you know who, whose game plan today was very much to suffocate and to frustrate and try and spring. It was always likely that first goal was going to be important. And we said it before the game. Um, these are two sides who are very very cosy out of possession, very comfortable letting the opposition dictate. Um, and and planting plenty of, of players in front of them. We saw that in the first half where Huddersfield made that their game plan and Forrest uh, were kind of lumbered with the burden of the ball and did, did very little with it until they scored. And in the second half, it was vice versa. It was Forrest who dropped in into a low block. Huddersfield had plenty of the ball, uh, created very little apart from two penalty opportunities that should have been given that weren't. But, but you know, Samba barely had a shot. I, I don't think either keeper actually made a save, did they? Was there a shot on target? Uh, I'm not sure there was. No. Uh, there, there were two early in the second half from Forrest, both of them from range. Yates from like 35 yeah. yards and... Uh, I think it was Garner had one on the hour mark again, well well outside yeah. the box, which was safe, fairly straightforward. Uh, Huddersfield did not have a shot on target in this football match, which kind of speaks to the lack of quality from them, for sure. From- but mate, you can win the Champions League with just one shot on target, so maybe that's the new thing. There as few go. as possible. Very little in the second half outside of those penalty shouts, you'd say. Despite them, it would be wrong for us to sit here despite feeling that they were a bit hard done by and say Huddersfield battered Nottingham Forest like they like they did a great job in, in chasing that game. They, they didn't really. Equally, we both thought, I think everyone kind of thought, having watched Forest in the last few weeks and months, that if they went ahead and if they sat in and if they invited Huddersfield onto them, they would at the very least have some chances in transition. They had nothing. They had a, they, no. I, I can't remember a single counter-attack they had in the whole game. Brennan Johnson, um, wonderful, wonderful player. Let's be very clear about that. Had a very, very quiet game. Keenan Davis, yeah. from the first minute, didn't look to my eyes hugely sharp. Didn't look to me hugely. Keenan Davis, these are guys who've bigged up uh, a lot, uh, and they had quiet games. Their team won. It doesn't matter, but they did have pretty quiet games. And Huddersfield, you know, never a magnificent attacking team all season. That wasn't their strength. Chasing games wasn't their strength. And when they had to chase a game, they did not achieve much penetration so to speak uh, other than a few moments where uh, a couple of loose tackles and we thought maybe penalties should have been given it, it doesn't matter 
unfortunately, at this stage. Uh, Nottingham Forest have been promoted. Huddersfield will be in the Championship next season. George, uh, so happy for, for Forest fans. Uh, they've been in this league for ages. They've had a lot of false dawns. They've had a lot of bad teams, particularly when you when you compare performance to expectation. They've had some very bad teams. They've had some unsuccessful managers, a lot of them. They've had a lot of bad decision makers, either owning or running the club uh, over the last however many years. And now they're a Premier League club again. I'm so happy for Steve Cooper, who's someone that I think we both just respect a huge amount. I think he, even though there have been times at Swansea, particularly at Swansea, where we where we thought his team were overperforming a little bit. We didn't necessarily think their league position reflected how good they were, essentially, ultimately. And maybe they were um, running a bit hot, I guess is the right word. Forrest hasn't really been like that. It's just been sensational pretty consistently since he joined in the league, in the Cups. And just overall for him, it's a very impressive body of work, isn't it, for some years now. I think we both think being a football manager is incredibly difficult. Mm. And actually, to be this consistent in three years should still be considered like quite a long-term level of consistency, quite a good body of work for quite a long time now. He carries himself brilliantly, I think. He represents this team, Nottingham Forest, the, the city of Nottingham, the, the other teams he's represented brilliantly. He's a very solid tactician. He's clearly a good motivator who gets through to players, particularly the younger generation. I mean, what more do you want in a manager? You, you can't really imagine... Loving a manager as much as Forest fans, George must love Steve Cooper. No, I mean it's it's one of those fairy tale stories where you know a manager who comes in at a time when when a club is in desperate need and football fans, I would say in general are overly optimistic. We always say when we do our one to twenty fours, which will be in late July, early plug for it um, next season. Um, if we were to do a list, if we were to make, do a table of where club, clubs fans finish, think they will finish, the bottom six places would always be empty pretty much, um, except for cases like Derby this season. So for a manager to come in at a time where if you'd told, you know, not even the most optimistic Forest fan would have said, I think we're going to come fourth and I think we're going to um, go up through the playoffs. Uh, he's achieved what no one was thought was thought was possible. In doing so, he's developed a player in, in Brennan Johnson whose future is going to be something Forest, Nottingham Forest as a football club can be impre- incredibly proud of, uh, whether or not he's there next season uh, or if he moves on or whatever. You know, he is uh, going to be a, a favourite son of Forest and, and his, you know, he turned from being, yes, a very good League One player last season on Lone Lincoln to being one of, if not the best player in the championship this season in an attacking force. Um, it's amazing what he's done and, and you saw it today and, and you know, when, when the sleeping giants, uh, especially a, a club who has a particular affinity to a certain former manager um, and have that relationship already with, um, with of course, Brian Clough. Uh, you have to think that, you know, what, what Cooper's done, he's, he's, he's woken the beast in a way that's, uh, that's pretty glorious now for their fans to enjoy and bask in the sunshine of what was an amazing success today that tops off just a, a remarkable time since, uh, since late September. We're not going to be talking about Forest for a long time now. So I'd like to say one final time, People will roll their eyes. Nottingham Forest had one point after seven games. There's been the classic case of like so many people pointing out that that is very unusual and and I think represents an amazing footballing turnaround. 
you end up going the other way. Now the prevailing sense seems to be not that impressive. There were still loads of games left and loads of points to play for. Irrelevant. They had one point after seven games. People love being snide about how much has been made of, of Forest turnaround. But imagine that if that's your club. Imagine that as a fan. You lose your your first six of seven games and you draw one, you know, mm. win a game. Mid-September it was. The season's six weeks old, if not more. You've you've had the four weeks leading up, probably quite excited about the season. Six weeks in, zero wins, one point. You're on one. Eight months later, you win promotion. Don't be snide about that. Don't, like... Don't do that down. Don't be snide about broadcasters mentioning that. Their job is to tell the story of the clubs, whatever the game is that they're covering. That's what their job is. And that's the story of Forest season. Of course it is. Why would you mm. ignore that? What else are you going to talk about? You've got two clubs to cover. You've got to talk about them. What else are you going to talk about? And there's other stuff as well. Yeah, their striker, Brennan Johnson, he's born locally. He's from Nottingham. His dad was a popular former player for the club. He's come through the youth system. He's 21 years old, whatever he is. He starred in a promotion from nowhere. That's a good story. Their captain was born locally, Joe Worrell. He came through the youth system. He's been magnificent. He's a leader. He represents the fans. He speaks his mind. He's the perfect player if you're a fan. That's a story. Their centre midfielder, Ryan Yates, who didn't score today, but very much put the pressure on that, that made the goal. He came through the youth system. He's a local-born lad. He's been magnificent. He's probably worked harder than anyone to become a first-team player for, for this club. It doesn't matter what the name of the club is. Forget that. These things mm. these things mean a lot to fans. That's what it's all about. They'd mean a lot to you if you supported that club. Again, forget who it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the names of the club or the players involved. Those f are facts, and they are great things. They It is a great footballing story. It bears repeating. I think it's excellent. I'm really happy for those players, for Cooper. I've particularly enjoyed Worrell and Yates and Johnson, clearly. But also... Keenan Davis, Bree Samba, Jed Spence at different times. Uh, a lot of them. Uh, and uh, congrats to Chris Hewton as well for laying the foundation uh, of this promotion side. Uh, George, let, let's talk next season. Um, Forest first, then Huddersfield. Forest will be in the Premier League. Um, let's be clear. I've got basically a copy and paste answer when everyone asks, when anyone ever asks me, what do you think about them going up to the Prem? Reckon they stay up? It's, it's so tough. It's unbelievably tough. The odds are already stacked against you. And I, I think I'd, it's going to be very tough for them. I'd say that the odds are more stacked against Forrest because of their reliance on lone players this season. Um, you know, it's always very difficult for these teams coming up into the Premier League to survive. But when you have so much, so much of your key talent, and yes, of course, they will be, you know, I'm not suggesting for a second there's no chance that some of these players might stay even if on loan again. But when you think of how important Garner's been, um, you know, even today, I, I know Lowe's been injured for a long time, but Forest fans were pretty convinced before his injury that he was as good a, a left wing back as you're going to get um, in the championship. Davis has played a massive part in the second half of the season. And then you think that, you know, that the, the uh, Jed Spence and Brennan Johnson, probably the, the two key players uh, for them this campaign, um, both from an, an, an attacking standpoint. Jed Spence is going to have plenty of other offers as well as Forest. I'm sure we'll be in for him. And then Brandon Johnson's going to have a decision to make whether he wants to have a, a season in the Premier League with with um, with Forrest or, or cash in his chips. But we know that you know Brentford, for example, have been in for him in the past. You know, is it up? To, is it for him now to to try and get a move? Um, it's it, it's very hard to say at this stage. But I do feel like for for Steve Cooper and Forrest as a whole, normally you go up with your 
championship um, squad there. But if you picture this was Football Manager and you click continue game and it's the day all the, all the low knees go back, suddenly that squad page looks very, very different uh, and they're moving up in the world as well. So it's going to be hard. But I, you know, I, I'm always optimistic about, about sides going up. I always, I always want them to do well. But we have to be realistic here. And even though Forest fans will be desperate not to return after their 23-year exile, um, you know, Steve Cooper, it's a classic case now. And no matter what happens in the summer, even if they go out and spend £200 million, if Steve Cooper can steer them to, to 17th place uh, next season in the Premier League, that's a, another job very well done. And I think it's worth pointing out that because some people who don't follow Forest might not know this, uh, we slammed Forest for many years for what we considered to be boneheaded recruitment to have been an exceptional waste of money over the course of three, four years. Um, but, and it's a small sample size and there's a lot of work to do, but in Dane Murphy, who's the CEO, who they poached from Barnsley last summer, in George Sirianos, who is a very smart chap, data guy, recruitment guy, who I've heard very good things about. Uh, I think the time that they spent wasting money is over. Uh, I think, look, Norwich have shown us a team who we think have at times recruited very well for the championship and clearly have not recruited that well for the Premier League. It's difficult. It's really, really tough. Having smart people, having data guys doesn't mean you're going to make good signings, but it's a different group. Uh, and I think that they can probably do better than they might have done whoever was in charge two years ago. Anyway, um, they've got a lot of work to do, that's for sure, I think. Uh, Huddersfield next season, George. Um... I'm happy to say right now, and it's what four hours after full time. I've I've got no idea really. I think there's a sense that this was their chance, uh, and this is a, a sense I've got just from social media, from the Entity Twenty squad, maybe that this is kind of their chance that they captured lightning in a bottle to an extent, and maybe we shouldn't expect them to to be up there this season. There's a similar feeling about Luton Town. It leads to to people thinking the championship is quite exciting next season. Um, we haven't really turned our attention to that yet and kind of worked it all out. But uh, I think with the teams coming down, not being hugely highly rated in, in general, I would say Burnley, Watford and Norwich, there's a sense that the championship's kind of open, that there's spots up for grabs. W what about Huddersfield? I think, I think I'd think i lean towards them still being a pretty good championship side. Um, top half, top 10 for sure. Top six, I'm not sure yet. Mm. <laughs> Having spent the whole season underestimating them, I'm not going to sit here now and say that there's going to be a big drop off. Um, you know, I think when the when the prices come out, um, I'm sure they'll probably be priced up to finish mid table. I would guess no better than that, and I think that could be a bit disrespectful to them. Uh, I think Carlos Corbran has proven himself now as being a manager who can set up a team to be very very effective in so many different circumstances, um, and if they get the recruitment right. Because I do think that there is probably um, an element here where Corbran is getting this team to perform at a level that's higher than the sum of their parts. Um, you know, a couple of quality additions. And I think they could go again. The issue again is going to be keeping hold of certain players. Levi Colwell, although, of course, his, his input today wasn't a particularly positive one, uh, will be certainly, you'd think, heading back to Chelsea um, to provide depth given their issues at the back at the moment and his the fact that he's footed uh, it's quite handy um you'd think that lewis o'brien is going to be um the, you know the the, the vultures are going to be circling again for him as well so they, they might lose a couple of key players uh, might get a bit harder before it gets a bit easier um but they feel to me like a team in very good hands at the moment and it's it's very very i mean it's impossible and it, it's actually ludicrous now to think that a 
you know, just 12 months ago, the season ended with a Carlos Corboran managed Huddersfield conceding 71 goals in a league season. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think that'll happen again. Can I see them changing again, adapting again under Corboran for the better? Maybe adapting their style of play, maybe getting better at breaking teams down, uh, which I said has been an issue for them this season. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because we saw a huge leap under him uh, from season to season this season. But equally right now, could I also see them finding it much harder to pick up points like they did this season? Yeah, I can. So I um, won't be drawn on anything right now and it feels like you're kind of the same. But a team we've hugely admired, a team that we massively underestimated um, and that should come with some huge credit. Uh, and I, I think personally, Corbran takes a huge, huge chunk of that and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does uh, this this summer, next season. I dare say if he keeps going on this path, he's going to be pretty highly sought after elsewhere. Not necessarily just in English football, but he's the sort of person you could see um, those in Spanish football in La Liga looking at uh, and wondering if he might be something pretty decent. I think he probably is. Let's talk about Saturday's game uh, with congratulations, Nottingham Forest Premier League club. Uh, Talk to you again soon, maybe. Who knows? Um, It was Port Vale's day on Saturday. They beat Mansfield uh, 3-0. George, my, my, my main note, from the way home because this really was it was anticlimactic in how one-sided it was uh, in terms of of goals performances the fact that Mansfield went down to 10 men early none of it was a classic League 2 playoff final my note says Port Vale were harder smarter faster better yeah I mean it's nothing much to really add I mean this is just a a cut and dry paddling from Port Vale, really. A paddling. Um, God, that's such a good word. Please use that more. It's a paddling. <laughs> uh, they were just the better side by miles. Um, you know, for Mansfield, I don't think it's necessarily a case of them not turning up. Um, and it wasn't quite as um, abrupt as the the Northampton uh, 4-0 win over Exeter a couple of years ago. It wasn't that dissimilar. It felt like one team was just bang at it from the word go racing to a two-goal lead. And then as soon as Ollie Hawkins was, was sent off for a second bookable offence, two stupid bookings, uh, to be honest. The first one kind of went off the wall incident. The second, you know, he, he's been very good this season. And it would be, you know, I think he's proven enough at centre-back that you, you know, you have to give him more respect than just saying that he's a striker playing centre-back. Um, but it was a mindless challenge to go in for given the state of the game and the fact he just picked up a yellow card uh and as soon as that was the case it was game over there was a a spell for 10 minutes early in the second half where um Mansfield despite the you know having one man fewer um looked like they were starting to to find a foothold in the game and, and the crowd responded to that but I mean, there was never really much um, in terms of goalmouth action. And not only did Port Vale score three goals, um, but they also had two disallowed for very, very marginal offside calls as well. So it was um, it was as cosy as you like and, and just a, a superb achievement. And, and for Port Vale, you know, you have to remember they went into final day away at Exeter, who, who were trying to win the, um, the, the title. And they beat them on the road to get into the playoffs and then beaten Swindon over two legs with that ridiculous penalty shootout. And um, and then such a a decisive win on on in the playoff final as well. You know, for Daryl Clark, for Andy Crosby, Dean Whitehead, um, the coaching staff, and all the players. It's uh, you know they've done incredibly well to manage what's been a, a very difficult campaign off the pitch as well. The goals were brilliant goals. They yeah. Whether it was by design, whether it was the game plan, whether it was a, a happy coincidence, whether it was Mansfield's failings, whatever it was. They found a way to 
put together some very exciting, good attacking play. That The 1-0 goal was uh, Gibbons right on his own byline, clearing the ball uh, onto the chest of Tom Pett, who chested it straight down to Warrell, the right wing back. First time ball into Garrity, the, the sort of advanced midfielder, the 10, if you will. Uh, he laid it off to Wilson, who then, because he's a lovely ball player, saw the, the, the run of, of, of Benning galloping down the left side, fizzed it into his stride, didn't have to break sprint. Uh, and then his cross, it did take a nick. Nigel Clough was, was very keen to point out there was a, a lot of luck on the first goal, uh, a deflected cross straight onto Harrod's head. It's true. But four minutes earlier, very similar move down the left side, um, out to wide to Benning, low cross into Garrity, layoff to Harrod, he hit the post. This wasn't a coincidence. This wasn't luck. This was um, them being better, uh, finding gaps and exploiting them. Um, one interesting wrinkle, we were sitting very near the dugouts and I imagine, I haven't checked this, I imagine it's the first time that Daryl Clark and Nigel Clough have managed a game with VAR. Uh, and Daryl Clark, I'm afraid to say, basically refused to celebrate that first goal. And I think it's because he wanted to make sure that VAR had checked it and given it. Now, a big cross in the in the VAR column is it changes the way we view football. It changes the way, in particular, we celebrate or rather don't celebrate goals. Uh, this felt like a pretty egregious example of that. The manager of a team going 1-0 up early in a playoff final and he, unlike his staff and unlike the fans, pretty much refused to celebrate. I thought that was a bit of a shame, but it is what it is. The second goal, 2-0, not long after, very similar, kind of mirrored down the other side. Pep won the ball back in midfield and off they went and Mansfield was so slow on the turn, so slow to get back in position, left such big gaps. Um, it just wasn't working for them. Pet into Wilson, laid it off to Jake Taylor, whose ball down the right side was magnificent. Uh, Worrell was on his bike and, and the Mansfield fullback, just like the right back had been. Uh, the left back this time, McLaughlin, was caught upfield. So Worrell ran into space, uh, had time to pick out a cross. Uh, Wilson dragged him out inside. He stuck it on the back post where Garrity, who's very, very good in the air, um, headed onto the bar and Wilson nodded in. So that was almost it but it wasn't it and then it was it because as you mentioned uh very unusual uh hot-headedness from um hawkins to get booked for an off the ball incident and then just a bit slow just stretching just desperately trying to stop Vale from flooding forward once more in transition which is what they were threatening to do uh took down wilson for, for the red card two disallowed goals in the second half for Vale, um, both correct uh and then the three nil goal at the end um, they didn't need it, but they got it. It was truly bizarre, George, because you watch it back. We noticed it at the time, but I enjoyed watching the highlights back. At the point where Worrell throws in a cross from the byline on the right-hand side, Mal Benning, the left wing back, is standing, in, I reckon, 28 yards from goal. <laughs> He's at least 10 yards outside the box. And Worrell's cross goes so high <laughs> that by the time Benning has just sprinted into the box and struck it first time on the volley he's probably eight yards out he makes up 20 yards um the right backs just can't be asked and uh benning <coughs> fires home so three nil um and you it was know also, it's also just a brilliant finish from benning as well like the the way to hit a ball that's coming down from that height at full pelt it almost looked like it was a bit a bit kind of behind them as well um amazing finish amazing goal absolutely that the, the the thing that Mal Benning spoke about afterwards, which I think is um, worth bringing up, is that he is a British Asian uh, of Asian descent. Uh, it's a very 
unrepresented proportion of the population when it comes to football. Uh, Mal Benning spoke brilliantly afterwards about hoping that um, you know not taking any credit or anything. He was, he was, there was no ego. There was there was there was nothing but um, hope that he could be a pioneer for Asian representation in the game. Um, and I, I think that's something that we'd all love to see more of. Uh, Mal Benning had. Basically, at the day of his life, you know, the tactical battle went in his favour. He had so much time and space to do what he wanted to do against his former club, and he did it. Um, we spoke in the preview about whether or not Aaron Martin would start or whether Gibbons would start. He went with Gibbons, and it was quite a big call from Clark because Gibbons is not experienced at centre-back. And funny how the- these things work out, aren't they, George? Because five minutes in, hooked cross into the box for Mansfield, Gibbons, the inexperienced centre-back, rather than the very mm. experienced penalty box defensive presence that is Aaron Martin. Gibbons got a shout from the keeper, left the ball straight onto the head of Murphy, seven, eight yards out. And if he'd hit it low and into the corner, they'd have been one nil down. So it's one of those where it didn't not work out for him, shall we say, but it almost yeah. backfired. Uh, it would have been a different story if that had gone, that's for sure. But for Mansfield, very hard not to be very disappointed with how they played. They were just off it from the start, both individually, but also, as I keep mentioning, with this tactical issue that they just... I don't know if they didn't see it coming. It, it, it wasn't. It was pretty rudimentary. It was Port Vale width. It was Mansfield not quite understanding how they were meant to stop the the ball progression down the back down the flanks. They didn't look after the ball well at all. And clearly, they they lost their head as well with the Hawkins red card. And of course, they missed that big chance at nil nil. Uh, and then Oates had one cleared off the line uh, when it was I think two nil. I mean, to be fair, I kind of think even if. Murphy had taken that chance at nil-nil. I still think Vale would have come back into it. I think the way that they'd set up to play, the way that Vale performed, meant that they probably would have carved out those first-half chances even at one-nil down. To be honest, I think mm. they just played some really good, smart football. They won their battles first and foremost. They won the ball. Then they got it into the front men, um, and they just had really nice patterns that that sort of got it into the front men, laying it off, and then a ball out wide into space with the wing backs having had time to to get forward. It was just a really impressive um, playoff performance I think um, George the thing I'll remember most I have to admit was um, that burger we had before that's the worst that's one of the worst things I've eaten this year <laughs> do you know like the really the cheese that was just kind of liquid is that mm. not do you not like that no. a cold liquid cheese getting big some, chunks of onion getting some pretty bad memories there about the <laughs> price point uh, about the uh, liquid cheese uh, about the uh consistency of the meat itself unbelievable effort as well to get chips to taste so much like nothing it was um it was incredible mm. at least the budweiser yeah. washed it down well <laughs> Ooh, yes <laughs> um, lovely on, on a serious note boddington's for me just delighted for for daryl clark for daryl clark people know that he suffered a horrific bereavement has been through the, the worst possible grief over the last few months um he dedicated the win on Saturday to his daughter Ellie Clark, who he lost a few months ago. It's it's if you start to think about what it must be like for him, it's it's really it's difficult. It's difficult. It's a completely from my point of view, it's been quite a long time since I suffered a, a grief, a bereavement. But from what I remember, it is it's a completely indescribable state of mind. It's impossible to imagine functioning really and it is so so difficult so for him to have been there to have represented his team so well there's such an amazing feel around the club and I think a lot of the credit should come 
from from the top, from the owner, who seems like a, a really good egg, the sort of owner that we want to see more of. The support they've clearly given Daryl Clark has has been a real positive for him in such a difficult time. But his own strength is incredibly admirable. And that eighth-minute applause, initiated by the Mansfield Town fans for Daryl Clark, Mansfield born and bred, but was in the opposition dugout. Uh, I'll never forget that. That was incredibly touching. And to see him afterwards sharing a moment with his family that that will stay with me for a long time much more than than the football stuff much more than those impressive patterns of play yeah absolutely it's a proper case where uh i think everyone has to well i mean i, I know that everyone watching uh, and those who, who maybe weren't aware of what had happened until uh, the interview post-match um for daryl clark to have gone through what he's gone through i can't imagine i don't think i mean I, hopefully as few people as possible can imagine because you know, it's the old tragedy. And um, I was delighted to see how happy he was at final whistle and to see him looking up, blowing kisses, doing a little victory jig um, before the quite clearly emotional uh, interviews that came afterwards. Um, you know, it's not football, but it's very hard to get away from the fact that it feels like that man deserved um, a day like he'd have had yesterday. And um, yeah, absolutely. And the, the respect shown by Mansfield fans as well to him with the applause in the eighth minute, um, you know, someone who has close ties to the club as well. Um, it, it just felt right. Uh, you have to say as well. Um, so yeah, lots of, you know, thoughts been with him uh, for a while now and, and, and hopefully, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to move on. But but yesterday felt like an, a, a very important day for him and, and his family as well, I'm sure. Probably the first time I've ever um, quoted a tweet from Gary Neville on the podcast. But uh, I mentioned the owner, Carol Shanahan, Port Vale owner. Um, I did see a tweet from, from G-Nev uh, on Saturday night um, where he tweeted, obviously as a part owner, I think, uh, of a League Two club himself. Congratulations to Carol Shanahan. I remember the most selfless act in a selfish game in the COVID season, when Carroll voted to end the League Two season, whilst in a strong position to gain promotion. This was done in solidarity with the remaining clubs who couldn't afford to play. Uh, ever since then, and frankly, we got the vibe before that, everything she's done since she took over that club from an owner who we didn't like very much in terms of his governance of that club uh, has been really, really positive. And as I say, mm. just like, just the sort of owner that we'd love the EFL to be filled with, to be quite frankly. Uh, to be quite frankly? To be quite frank. It's getting late. Um, I mentioned <laughs> Forrest, Worrell, Yates, Brennan Johnson. A lot of local lads winning promotion with, with Port Vale as well, and that always hits home. Nathan Smith at the back. Um, Gibbons, who I've mentioned, he's a local lad as well. And Tom Conlon, who people forget. If you'd asked us at the start of the season who's Port Vale's best player, we'd, we'd probably have said Tom Conlon. Just a really quality, yeah. left-footed tidy technical midfielder been injured for months and months hasn't contributed at all you have to say to this promotion um the excellent midfielder pet and garrity and and taylor as it was and charlesley at times they've they've filled the gap very very well but conlon was allowed to lift the trophy uh yesterday it was a really nice moment he was front and center but he was quick to to say thank you really to his teammates for for winning this promotion he'll be a league one player next season with port vale um george availingly one <laughs> broken record really about what i said about um nottingham forest <laughs> it's gonna be difficult isn't it it's gonna be difficult you know we've been talking a bit recently not, not as difficult not as difficult but a league they move into where we've been told recently not that we haven't noticed ourselves that it's almost two leagues in one you've got a top 10 maybe top 10 or 12 and then kind of the, the rest so port vale need to come 
in a league of 14, let's say, they need to come 10th or above four relegation places. It's a it's a it's a tough tough division. It does feel like there there is you know when when a team comes up from the championship to the Premier League, there is a there's a gap that they have to they have to climb. They have to somehow get up to the level needed. It strikes me, especially over the last three or four seasons, and you look at the amazing job that Mike Duff and Mark Bonner have done at Cheltenham and and Cambridge as well. I'm only pointing out those two because you know you look at you know it felt like Bolton were well set to kind of to push on, um, but there doesn't seem to be much of a void. There doesn't seem to be much of a gap. Teams who get promoted out of League Two um, almost go in, I would say, as lower mid-table uh, League One sides. So I, I have more faith. I think the whole footballing operation at Port Vale seems to be pretty good uh, when you consider how well Andy Crosby uh, looked after the team in, in Daryl Clark's absence for a while as well. Flickcroft um, as well. I a, forgot they've got a... Yeah, Exactly. Flickcroft sitting above, um, kind of between the ownership and and, and Daryl Clark. It does feel like a very professional, well thought out project, and, and that's why Daryl Clark obviously left in what seemed like a side sideways step last season. Uh, left for Walsall for for Port Vale, which now looks like a very smart, um, you know, thing to have done. So I, I'm pretty, you know, for both of those teams last season, <coughs> it, it, it's very hard if Nigel Clough is still there to to see why Mansfield won't be. Um, at least in the top seven mix again, and for Port Vale, I don't see any reason why they aren't a progressive club who are, who will continue their upward curve under, uh, a, you know, it's not just one under a few guys who seem to know exactly what they're doing. Something that does feel translatable is the fact they had the best open play defence, just in terms of, of xG anyway. Uh, looking at the Opta analyst numbers, that feels like a, a good start, doesn't it? Moving up the divisions, if you even if you don't sign anyone, if you keep the same core, that speaks to a, a level of competitiveness and structure and discipline um, that should serve you well if, you, if you're expecting to spend a lot of time defending. Um, I, I didn't think they played particularly well in transition in the semi-finals against Swindon. Uh, that would be something that I'd like to see them improve on. Uh, I think Wilson's very good, but I think some with a bit more legs. I mean, Harrit was, was very impressive, to be fair, yesterday. Hadn't seen that from him before. Um, that's something maybe they, they, they might need to look at, but um, a very, very good midfield and clearly a strong defence is going to serve them pretty well. Uh, as for Mansfield, yeah, I, I agree with you. Sometimes you see a team lose a playoff final and you, you worry a bit. Sometimes you feel like it's the end of a cycle or uh, they've caught lightning in a bottle and it'd be difficult to replicate. I don't feel like that here. Um, yes, it's... Nine seasons now at the level for Mansfield since winning the conference in 12-13 and certainly the last five, they have fairly unashamedly been very ambitious, shall we say, in giving it a good go, by which I mean spending, to my eyes, probably quite a lot of money compared to, to other teams at the level. They have underachieved overall, but that doesn't really need to matter. And I think having Nigel Clough at the helm is a good thing. That means that that doesn't need to matter. They, they won't be changing manager like they have done so often. It's not the end of a cycle. It doesn't feel like that here. So I'm I'm still fairly positive. I think Clough management is good management. I think it's as simple as that. So I'm sure they will go again uh, in the transfer market this summer. Uh, it be interesting to see where we have them in the 1-24s to because, wow, that's a good segue. That's our next part. <laughs> Feels a long yes. way off, doesn't it? Feels a long way yes. off. I think we're both quite happy about that. Go I'm going to read some books in that time. <laughs> <laughs> I bought Prisoners of Geography two years ago. I haven't read that yet. Maybe I'll oh give that a go. Maybe I'll give that <laughs> um, George, I'll be honest, mate. I love you. I love the pod. I love you too. Listener, I love you too. 
We've done 91 pods in a live show this season. That's good, isn't it? 91 pods in a live show. Yeah, happy with that? Yeah, that's pretty good. Well done. We've been committed, if nothing more. The quality might have might have fluctuated at times, but we've we've been committed. We've been there. We haven't missed a game, put it that way. We've been available. Mm. Sometimes the best ability is availability. <laughs> Thanks if you've been part of the journey with us. If you've listened to all 91 and come to the live show, you get a, a prize, a, a big one. Not from us, just in your own head. Um, it, it means a lot to us. It really does. And actually, we didn't focus too much on uh, on pod numbers week by week, month by month. But we did have a quick look a couple of days ago. And we reckon we've grown our audience 80% from last season's based on uh, average downloads per episode. And I think in year six, if you're growing 80%, you can be, you can be pretty happy. That's, that's almost like humans, isn't it? Like as in growth after six years, like a growth spurt. Maybe we're going to, you know, keep growing it through adolescence and we're going to suddenly when we're age 14, that's going to be our biggest year. Has anyone got a six-year-old? And if so, did they grow 80% <laughs> in the last 10 months? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? I think you might be onto something here. We've had, um, yeah. we've had some good moments. We've had a lot of good football to talk about, some bad football to talk about, some good players to talk about, some bad players to talk about. Some good managers to talk about, some bad managers to talk about. It's all fun and games, isn't it? It's ridiculous. We just talk about football. It's it's the greatest joy. It's the greatest fortune that we that we can have that we do that. We've had seeded matches. We've had the year of the stance on the betting show. Uh, we've had Jed Wallace and Rob Dickey and Will Hondemark, Tracy Crouch MP, John Seymour, <laughs> 21 under 21. We both had a stag do. Uh, some very bad predictions, the odd good one. Pratt's. Pratt's as well, obviously. Of course. Box office players like Bree Samba and Harry McCurdy. Gyok, the big switch. Gyro, you're the reason that I breathe. You're the reason that I still believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. You want me to finish now, don't you? You want to go to bed? Yeah. Well, thank you to Betfair, who have been the dream sponsorship partner. Uh, it's been It's been a magnificent nine months. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back after several weeks, I'm afraid, with some 1 to 24. So join us then. Stay subscribed. They'll be dropping towards the end of July, won't they? Just before the start of the season. Same as always. Go well. Have a great summer.